Hello. It is podcast time. Let's go! Yes, hello. Welcome to the Arch Independent Show. I am Tommy. I am the host. This is episode number nine of the 2024 Arch Independent Podcast Series, nine times, nine times. Big show today. We're going to be all over the place, but let's start with AI, artificial intelligence. It's the new coolest thing. And Google recently released their AI product. It's called Gemini, and the launch seemed to have a bit of a rough start. Google, in fact, ended up having to take their AI image generator offline and uh, stop the whole thing. Whoops. It was posting wild, racially tinged images. For example, if you asked Google Gemini to generate an image of what a Viking might have looked like, It replied with a bunch of images of black men and Asian women dressed as Nordic Vikings. Google said that was a mistake, and they took their image-generating module offline to try to fix it. Oh boy. I do not want to do another show about Team Good and the dominant culture. However, it is kind of impossible to talk about the whole Google Gemini launch without referencing Team Good and the dominant culture. Because when folks started trying to use this super tech Google Gemini AI, what they quickly learned was that for some reason, it was coded in a way that it would not generate images of Caucasian males. When asked for any type of historical image rendering that would naturally include a Caucasian male, Google simply replaced the white people throughout history in just bizarre ways. Everything from images of the Pope to Swedish women were altered so Gemini returned them all as black or Asian or Hispanic. However, if you were to ask Google's AI for renderings of African history, or Japanese history, or Chinese history, Gemini did not diversify the results. Nope, the diversification code only worked in one direction. (laughs) God, Clown World is such a bizarre place. It is so weird to live alongside this dominant culture. And I'm not going to do a long segment, it pretty much speaks for itself, but For the 2024 Arch Indie Podcast series, this is an example of how the kooky team good ideology is pushed into all aspects of life. Obviously, Google is very much a team good company, and as you would expect, they are run in large part by hard left activists. And hard left activists are inherently racist ideologues. Hence, the Google AI product is polluted with their kooky racist tropes. Obviously, just because the racism is in the popular direction does not make it correct. But the key takeaway from it all is that 
artificial intelligence is the fastest growing sector in the world right now. The biggest AI company in the world just posted another remarkable earnings quarter. We're all getting rich off it, or at least I hope you are, but I'm not sure about the ethics involved here because even if you're not using AI directly, these are kind of the ways that it's going to impact your life. In the case of Google Gemini, the AI was coded to follow just a psychotic partisan religion, and that's not good. But this is what dominant cultures do throughout human history, and the dominant culture of our time is no different. They're pretty gross, and they relentlessly push this hateful and divisive ideology they twist essentially everything into that wacky oppression Olympics paradigm. And the Google Gemini AI was just the natural output of that. It's unfortunate, but we have a collection of just severely damaged people who are wildly dishonest about literally everything. And they are in charge of the most powerful computing systems that humankind has ever created. That should work out well. <laughs> the Google Gemini AI launch is a pretty clear demonstration of how insane the dominant culture is. And it's not just the image generator that they ended up taking offline that has this hard political bias and basically delivers you inaccurate information in order to comply with its own biases. Uh, I did play with Google Gemini for a bit. Couple of highlights. It will list reasons why Christianity might be considered a cult, but if you give it the exact same prompt for Islam, it will instead reply with an entirely different answer, and then it will lecture you for a bit about Islamophobia. If you ask it to write a toast celebrating Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it creates a really lovely little anecdote. It was cool. Uh, if you ask it to write a toast celebrating Anton Scalia, however, it refuses and instead lists reasons why Justice Scalia is a problematic and polarizing figure. <laughs> um, oh, my favorite. If you simply use the word indigenous, to describe any behavior, the Google AI will go to the wall to defend it. Gemini encouraged me to be sensitive about the cultural importance of human sacrifice. I mean, it just went on and on. I played with it for like 45 minutes and via social feeds I've seen a lot of similar stuff. The one thing I haven't seen though was the AI generating a response that skewed in favor of a conservative cause. None of the mistakes that Google acknowledged before they took it offline, none of those cut the other way. They all went one direction. And for any formative person, you know that that's not by accident. Uh, it's the classic cash register analogy. If a cash register is mischarging the customer, but it never charges a lower price, all the mistakes result in charging more than the sticker price, that cash register is not broken. It is fraudulent. And it's the same thing with the Google Gemini AI. So 
I guess ultimately we will see how much longer folks want to ride with this diseased ideology as the dominant culture. It always flips eventually, and we do appear to be in a fourth turning, so we'll see. Let's get a break. So, why is artificial intelligence such a big topic? Well, here's one potential application that we might not really be thinking of, and that is the smart wall, sometimes referred to as the digital border. As I alluded to a moment ago, the big AI companies are making huge profits And as you might expect, some of those profits are coming from the military-industrial complex. And that's always a little ominous, I think, once you start getting into the U.S. war machine and some of the things that we might be capable of. So it's difficult to get a full understanding of the big military contracts because so many of those are really kept secret you have certain FOIA rights or freedom of information rights and you can get certain documents to give you a sort of lay of the land but you can really only speculate as to the full extent of what the digital border or smart wall is capable of at this time so i want to be upfront that we don't have the full picture and that can lead to speculation especially when you're in the military industrial complex so i don't want anyone to think i'm talking about space lasers or anything goofy what we do know at this point in time details there are about 300 surveillance towers from California to Texas. By surveillance tower, I do not mean the traditional put a guy with a gun up in the box. That is not what we have. These are fully digital, fully connected surveillance systems that span from California to Texas. We know via satellite imagery and some of the independent investigators This is kind of the new Area 51. If you're into that type of stuff, there's a lot of folks out there in the dark web who are doing research on exactly what these surveillance towers might be capable of. And I find that stuff fascinating. What we know is that the autonomous surveillance towers have 360 degree pan radars and sensors that have a range of multiple miles We know that the towers are outfitted with some sort of software, an AI, that is capable of distinguishing people from animals. We know that the towers provide a live image feed to Border Patrol personnel. We know that the towers also have solar power and they can be set up and moved within a matter of hours without drilling any holes, no concrete. They can be moved around with ease to triangulate as needed. So there's the pause on what we know. There's about 300 of these towers. They go from California to Texas. They can be moved around in a matter of hours with ease, no drilling, no concrete required. Each tower is equipped with 360 pan radar sensors. They can scan for a range of multiple miles. They send back a live image feed and they're equipped with software that distinguishes between people and animals. 
sales. That's the fact. The speculation comes in how far are we from a facial recognition? So those towers that currently have the AI software we know about that distinguishes from animal and people, how big of a leap is it really to start using the facial recognition software that we know exists from other contexts and then also speculation instead of just providing the live feed to the border patrol personnel what's to stop the live feed from being used the same way that the military does to conduct a drone and an autonomous flight operation so we already have a condition where these smart border systems exist it's got everything you need to go to a facial recognition and a drone targeting strike. Would we ever use something like that for such a capacity? I mean, we are the same people who kind of talk left and right about how virtuous we are, and then we do crazy gain-of-function research to make viruses more transmissible and more lethal. So I think it might be right to question our ethics here. We've got this intense technology. Here's another piece of information that we have that's verifiable. We know that specific AI companies have been awarded contracts to deploy these smart wall systems in Gaza. Zoinks. That's right. In the active conflict zone that is Gaza, Israel, we now have AI deploying these towers, these smart wall autonomous survey towers that have highly sophisticated monitoring and they can be used to call in a targeted strike because of facial recognition. There is some strong evidence that what the Israelis are doing is using these AI towers because they can distinguish between IDF forces and Gaza forces, and they have military strike capabilities. Because the towers have such long range, they can be set up in a secure or mostly secure Israeli location, then used to conduct surgical military strikes across the border. That's pretty powerful AI, so not quite the same thing as a cunty leftist that won't give a toast to Justice Scalia. This is more like vaporizing people off the planet. Pretty wide range of the ways the AI might be misused or abused. Just something to think about, perhaps. Okay. For the final segment today, I wanted to share this fascinating controversy that I came across in the world of fantasy baseball. Let me try and lay this out for you, as not everyone may be familiar with fantasy baseball and the extremely niche controversies that might erupt within that industry. So fantasy sports, pretty well known at this point. Fantasy baseball, probably the oldest of all. Fantasy football, definitely the most famous of all. Folks get together, they draft imaginary teams, and then you use the stats from the real games to play a fantasy league. In this case, fantasy baseball. There's a whole industry around this. There's thousands of people creating content for fantasy sports, and there is also a huge market of people who play the game 
competitively, and by that I mean for money. You might be familiar with DraftKings or FanDuel, what they call daily fantasy sports or DFS, and that's a chance for people to wager against each other for whose fake team will score more points. It's quite a hobby, and over the years it's become a fairly robust industry. Now, within this controversy that I stumbled upon, there are two parties, if you will, but by parties, it's kind of an ambiguous representation of an entire segment of people. So party number one is the content creator. And in general, these are folks who are attempting to earn money not from competing in fantasy leagues, rather they're trying to get paid for selling content about fantasy sports. The other party represents the segment of people who are attempting to compete and win money with their skill. So clearly different motives for the two parties. The content creator is trying to generate clicks, it's page views, that's how they get paid, versus the fantasy player is competing, trying to win various leagues with their skill. Of course, there's some crossover. There are some people who are content creators and players, but for this controversy, we'll just use the general statement that we have the content creator and the player. And those are parties that can generally get along in harmony. There's not a lot of reason for the content creator and the player to be adverse to each other. You know, in a lot of ways, the content creator needs the player in order to sell their content because who else would the audience for that be aside from the people who are playing the game? So there's that kind of dynamic going on. Now, here's the specifics of the situation. There is a National Fantasy Baseball Champions site or NFBC, and this is what they refer to as high-stakes fantasy. These are people who are paying hundreds or thousands of dollars for a single entry to compete against a pool of other folks for individual league prizes and then one grand overall prize is generally the structure. So you have this pool of players that are paying thousands of dollars for an entry. There's a significant, a six-figure, overall prize so there's some seriousness to that i think there's an inherent respect that is due to the player in this nfbc context because they have actual skin in the game but here's the catalyst the nfbc site is run entirely for its own self-interests so they're trying to promote their product one of their biggest marketing channel appears to be allowing content creators to have free access to their big NFBC contest in exchange for promotion of the contest to drive additional signups. I, mean, I don't think anyone's going to get an MBA on the show today. This is pretty simple stuff. So you have an NFBC site. They're administrating these high-stake leagues. Their self-interest is Get as many people to sign up as possible so our administrative rake is as much as possible. It's very, very rudimentary stuff here. Their primary marketing is give a content creator a free entry to the big contest and they will talk about it and their audience will come and sign up at your high stakes league. So that's the whole thing in a nutshell. Here's how it led to controversy. 
the content creators who are given the free entries into the big pool, they most commonly fulfill their promotion obligations by live streaming their draft. And within the live stream of the draft, they have the option. It is the content creator's sole discretion on the screen that they are sharing in their live stream. They can either hide the names of the people they're competing against, or they can show them. Folks, I think we've got an ethical question. So let's break this down. In the fantasy baseball world, this NFBC competition is kind of like the coin of the realm. This is the big prize. If you win the NFBC grand prize, you are considered the elite of the elite as far as fantasy baseball knowledge. Now, here's the thing. The content creators who talk about fantasy baseball, they generally never win the overall contest because they're not the best players. The best players play for money, whereas the content creator contents for money. So there's a different skill level in general. And the way that can lead to an ethical dilemma is one of two ways. So number one, these contests are multi-entry. So if a content creator reveals the name of a competitor and shows their draft picks, it would allow the competition to get a blueprint, as it were, of their draft strategy If that person creates a subsequent entry and drafts again, they have an exposure that they would not otherwise have if the content creator had simply chose to hide the names instead of show them. And that leads to the second potential ethical dilemma. Some of these players in the NFBC are arguably more popular than the content creators. The consistent winners in this NFBC, the guys who always finish in the top five, top 10, they can generate more eyeballs than a lot of the content creators. So if a content creator ends up in a league with somebody who is popular, they're incentivized to leverage it and put it on their live stream. So kind of two different ethical questions there. Now, on the other side of the coin, ethically, the NFBC sets no guidelines for the content creator. So they're under no restrictions. They're not violating any term or condition. Additionally, the NFBC makes no guarantees of anonymity when you sign up, so it's not like you could say, hey man, I don't want my name out there. So there's really no ethical concern about your doxing someone. But I still find it interesting, and as I said at the top, I think there is a respect due inherently to the party that is paying to compete. This is their competition, and really the content creator is a visitor. The controversy here appeared to emerge, or at least how I became aware of it. Let me say that. I became aware of the controversy because a player, someone from the player party, began to vocalize their discontent with how some content creators were blasting the names out there. So I thought it was interesting enough to mention, where do you come out on the ethical question So start to finish, the NFBC is this high-stakes fantasy site, and their major marketing push is giving free entries to their big grand prize contest to content creators. 
the content creators turn around, live stream the draft, and expose the players. In many cases, a player voiced disagreement with that practice. I think it's very interesting for whatever it's worth when the player who I follow started voicing his discontent with the practice of broadcasting the names the couple of content creators that he did contact they seemed fairly dismissive of the whole thing like fuck you we're content creators i think he's a little more cordial than that some of the content creators and players do have a rapport so there's some playfulness some give and take but ultimately the message was content creators will do what the fuck they want when the fuck they want and if the players don't like it they can really kick rocks it's neither here nor there i guess myself i think the highest and most ethical decision would be for the content creators to not display the names unless they somehow acquired a waiver from all the other competitors which seems impossible but anyway in their defense though the content creator is not violating any rules there's nothing that says they can't do this also we don't know how widespread the discontent is over that particular show the names practice it's entirely possible there could be people out there who enjoy having their name blasted out there they think it's a kick some of the content creators have bigger audiences than others but i thought it was interesting enough to share if you're in a fantasy baseball league let me end by wishing you good luck this year Some of my friends sell records Some of my friends sell